culture to politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Great day when after six months of war, uh, there appears to be a direct implication that uh, Russia is actually losing. And how could they possibly lose? It's a vastly more powerful country, vastly larger country, bigger population than Ukraine. We'll speak about that with Ilan Berman, who is a foreign policy expert with a number of institutions writing for Newsweek. He, uh, he talks about the costs of the Ukraine war mounting, not just for Ukraine, but very much for Russia and what happens next. We will also talk about the ongoing political war. President Trump issued two truths last night on uh, his new Truth Social platform, and both of which demanded a new election immediately. A, a, yes, that's right, a, a brand new election because the previous election in 2020 was horribly tainted. Uh, there's also a report over in the British press and the Daily Mail that Republicans may be putting that in effect if they actually win control of the House of Representatives. We will talk about that and talk about what the GOP would look like after Trump. That's whether Trump uh, wins the election of 2024 or loses the election of 2024. Either way, it's likely to be his last hurrah. If he wins the election of 2024, he's not eligible if he serves out his second term to run again. He, he can't, aside from the advances of age and other things, he is just not allowed by the Constitution. I think it's very unlikely the Constitution will be changed. There is a startling report from The Lancet, the British medical journal, and picked up by Fox News about marijuana, which is now legal as recreational marijuana in 19 states and the District of Columbia. So what does the new report have to do with? It has to do with marijuana addiction and psychosis, which is a very serious matter. Uh, we will get to that as well on the Michael Medved show. And we will talk about the impact of all of the various scandals, whether it has to do with a Secret Service member who's just retired, that's breaking news, or an FBI honcho who just retired. Somebody who was involved with investigating and people say suppressing information about Hunter Biden. And uh, what would the Republican priorities be if they take over the House? We will get to that as well on the Michael Medved show. Uh, first up, President Trump's demands last night, which have uh, gotten a certain amount of attention because they're a little bit surprising. Uh, let me just read you without commentary uh, what the president put on his uh, Truth Social website. Uh, this is uh, from uh, the real Donald Trump. And what he did last night in the middle of the night is he wrote the presidential election was badly and irreparably tainted by the FBI's fake description of the laptop from hell. He means, of course, Hunter Biden's laptop. 
to face Facebook and the lamestream media, and for many other reasons as well. Declare the rightful winner or hold a new election. Now, capital N, capital O, capital W, exclamation point. Our country, which is failing badly, knows the score and will never accept criminal election interference. That's criminal election, capital C, capital E. The FBI just fired its special agent in charge of this outrageous and very illegal assault on the Constitution of the United States of America. Actually, the report is that the special agent who was in charge, uh, Tebow is his name, uh, retired. And uh, retired in, in good stead. He was not repudiated by any sources at the FBI. But uh, again, he was the agent involved with, in part, supervising the ongoing, and it is ongoing, Hunter Biden investigation. The FBI just fired a special agent in charge of this outrageous and very illegal assault on the Constitution of the United States, exclamation point. Okay, that was the first uh, demand by President Trump that because the laptop from hell, meaning Hunter Biden's laptop and the attempts to characterize that as Russian disinformation, we now know it wasn't. It's uh, a sincere and genuine and appalling scandal. I mean, there's there's no question about that. And uh, President Trump's second comment over at uh, Truth Social uh, was this. So now it comes out conclusively that the FBI buried the Hunter Biden laptop story before the election, knowing that if they didn't, Trump would have easily won the 2020 presidential election. This is massive fraud and election interference at a level never seen before in our country. Remedy, full colon, declare the rightful winner or, and this would be the minimal solution, declare the 2020 election irreparably compromised and have a new election immediately. Okay, if uh, somebody out there thinks that's an appropriate idea or a good idea or it's healthy for the country or this is something that uh, we ought to get working on, uh, you can give us a call, 1-800-955-1776. The uh, Mediaite, they write that the laptop from hell refers to the laptop belonging to President Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, that revealed his controversial business dealings with China and Ukraine. The contents of the laptop were first reported by the New York Post ahead of the 2020 election. Amid fears the story was Russian misinformation, social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter cracked down on the sharing of the story. Uh, and uh, the uh, FBI has commented that they, uh, it has now come out because Mark Zuckerberg has conceded that he was contacted at Facebook by the FBI, not specifically about the Hunter Biden uh, matter, but generally he was warned about uh, Russian disinformation and to be cautious of it. And uh, I don't think there's much doubt at all that, of course, the Russians were providing misinformation both in 2016 and 2020. Doesn't mean they colluded with uh, the Trump campaign. They did not, according to the Mueller investigation. 
uh, but uh, they provided misinformation and they were warned at Facebook. Facebook put out a statement uh, today. Uh, the FBI put out a statement on Friday. They said that the FBI routinely notifies U.S. private sector entities, including social media providers, of potential threat information so that they can decide how to better defend against threats. In other words, if they have picked up the idea that uh, with their network they now know that the Russians are trying to put out misinformation, they warned Zuckerberg and Facebook and other social media entrepreneurs about the onset of that kind of disinformation. And uh, the um, Facebook also pointed out in a statement that this is not new information. As we've said, nothing about the Hunter Biden laptop story is new. Below is what Mark, meaning Zuckerberg, uh, told Senator Ron Johnson in October of 2020, that's before the election, and what Mark told Joe Rogan this week. The FBI shared general warnings about foreign interference, nothing specific about Hunter Biden. Uh, the FBI agent that Trump referred to in his Truth on Truth Social, uh, with Timothy Thibault, retired from the FBI over the weekend, reported Fox News yesterday. We will be right back with more and uh, coming up talking to Elon Berman about what's really going on in Ukraine and Russia. Coming up. Medved show, uh, it is unlikely, to say the least. In fact, it's impossible under the Constitution to uh, hold a new election now as President Trump demands. Uh, but it is not impossible that what he is uh, talking about here could be put into practice by another uh, plan that uh, some of President Trump's strong supporters have uh, put on the table that that plan could be put into practice assuming the Republicans win control of the House coming up. Uh, there's a headline over in the Daily Mail in Great Britain. It says Republicans want to impeach Biden if they retake the House. A GOP want to try President Biden for high crimes over the border and the Afghan withdrawal some Republican lawmakers are signaling that they will make impeaching President Joe Biden their number one priority if their party wins control of the House. Uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, always a fountain of uh, brilliant strategies and great ideas, uh, told DailyMail.com that she intends to file for impeachment against Biden next year. I think she already has filed for impeachment, actually. She might mean, well, next year it'll be really serious because the Republicans will control the House, they assume. She and other Republicans have called to impeach Biden multiple times. That's certainly true. Uh, it had virtually no chance of passing in the Democrat-controlled House. House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy previously vowed not to impeach Biden for political purposes, but did not rule it out 
altogether. And then there's another piece in the uh, Wall Street Journal about GOP plans probes if it wins the House of Representatives. Investigations would focus on hot-button issues, including border policy and Hunter Biden. Uh, House Republicans are preparing across-the-board investigations of the Biden administration if they take control next year, with an ascendant pro-Trump wing pushing GOP leadership to take an aggressive approach when the new Congress convenes. Lawmakers say plan probes would focus on the southern border, where illegal crossings have surged, and agents by mid-August had made a record 1.82 million arrests since the start of the fiscal year on October 1st. They would also focus on the foreign business dealings of President Biden's son, Hunter, and the origins of the COVID-19 virus and pandemic policies that shut down workplaces, all hot-button issues for many conservatives. Also on the list are Justice Department's operations under Attorney General Merrick Garland, who infuriated many GOP lawmakers when he authorized the application for a warrant to seize records with more than 700 pages of classified material that former President Donald Trump took to his home in Florida. Uh, it seems to me that uh, focusing on more investigations and uh, more hearings and more attacks, also part of one of the things that the Republicans are strongly suggesting is that they will shut down the January 6th hearings, which probably will be finished by the time they take over. They don't take over till January. I believe in September again, they're going to start up the January 6th hearings, and so they'll be done with that already. But the idea of following up the January 6th hearings with whole new sets of hearings, including hearings on the impeachment of Joe Biden, the the basic idea that I was talking about, which is, again, it, it's an extremely far-fetched idea, and it's only worth talking about because it shows just how desperate people are and the level of animosity and I think irrationality that has taken over both major political parties. I mean, truly taken them both <laughs> by the throat and, uh, and, and driven them mad. Uh, the, the idea is this, is that when uh, the Republicans win control of the House of Representatives, Presumably, Kevin McCarthy uh, would be speaker, and he would lead the House in impeaching uh, President Trump and Vice President Harris. Because what's the point of going after, did I say, President Trump? No, no, no. They tried that impeachment. It didn't work. It was a ridiculous idea both times. And uh, I indicated on the air my confidence that it wouldn't work that Trump would not be thrown out of office. It was a terrible mistake. It would also be a ridiculous mistake to try to impeach Biden because they will not have the votes in the Senate to remove him as president. However, the dream scenario is this, is follow for a moment. Kevin McCarthy becomes speaker. The House then impeaches Biden and Harris, so they can have a double header. Maybe they can have morning hearings about Harris and afternoon hearings about Biden or vice versa, they're going to impeach them both. And what does that do? 
that means that the Speaker of the House, if they both get impeached and removed from office, which is a big if, the uh, Speaker of the House becomes president. So you have President Kevin McCarthy, not so fast. What people have been talking about, and this goes all the way back to uh, January or February, what they've been talking about is following that agenda, uh, going after Biden and Harris, impeaching them. And at that point, uh, Kevin McCarthy would resign as Speaker of the House, and the House of Representatives would elect Donald Trump as Speaker. And then when they throw out President Biden and Vice President Harris, Donald Trump would get his dream of being reinstated as president. And that could occur if everything goes well, mm, say February or March of next year, uh, well before. Now, the, <laughs> the, the only uh, negative there becomes whether he could then run for re-election. But see, since the 22nd Amendment, and you can read it, it's pretty clear, uh, because Trump would have served less than two full years as president, because he wouldn't be installed as president again until February or March, uh, yeah, he could still run for yet a third term in 2024. Okay, you follow? He gets to be president because he's Speaker of the House. And by the way, you do not have to be a member of the House to be elected Speaker. There actually have been people who've been elected Speaker without being elected to the House of Representatives. They can vote for anybody. They could, uh, anybody who is eligible to uh, be a member of the House. So you have to be over 25 and you have to, uh, and, but you don't have to be a member of the House. You just have to be Speaker. Uh, so is this a great strategy? Uh, no, it's an idiotic strategy, but it's entertaining. Uh, and what about the Russian strategy for winning the war in Ukraine? Why is it going so terribly wrong for Russia, which might mean benefits for the United States of America? We'll get to that with Elon Berman coming up on the MedVeg Show. Michael Medved show sometimes you hear terrible news I mean just terrible news and it actually ends up being good news uh, that's what happens when the terrible news involves countries like Russia and Iran uh, both of which are tremendously corrupt and dangerous autocracies and both of which have a whole bunch of lousy news that has popped up regarding their progress there's a piece by Ilan Berman over at Newsweek that says six months on the costs of Ukraine war are mounting for Russia. Uh, before we get to that, Ilan, there's something that ties Iran to Russia too. The Washington Post has just reported that Iran sent its first shipment of battlefield drones to Russia for use in Ukraine, but some already are malfunctioning. The delivery of Mohajer 6 and Shahid series drones to Moscow is the first installment of a planned transfer of hundreds of Iranian unmanned aerial vehicles. 
The transfer has been marred by technical problems, security officials from the United States and an allied government said. In early tests by the Russians, the Iranian drones experienced numerous failures. Uh, does it uh, sound credible to you that the Iranian drones are less than uh, perfect for, uh, for use by the Russians against Ukraine? Oh, it certainly does. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm well. Good. Yeah. Uh, I, no, no. So I, I, I think this is precisely, precisely the right, um, uh, the right lens to look at it through. Uh, it's very clear to me that what you have in Russia and Iran is a long-standing strategic partnership. Right. Historically, Russia has carried the diplomatic water for Iran. Russia has been the, you know, running interference for Iran in multilateral fora like the United Nations Security Council and diluting sanctions and, and preventing Iran's isolation. But now, all of a sudden, the shoe's on the other foot. Now, all of a sudden, it's Russia that's the target of uh, fairly significant international sanctions and international pressure, and it is looking around for allies. So all of a sudden, you know, the student has become the master. Iran is now the dominant partner in the partnership. And what you're seeing is Iran try to prove useful to Moscow. And the way it's doing that is effectively two ways. One is what you mentioned. One is the provision of battlefield equipment, in particular drones, because the, uh, the types of drones, at least theoretically, that Iran has uh, are good standoff weaponry um, that fly higher than Ukrainian forces can intercept. Although, as, as you said, right, they're running into problems because they don't function very well. The other uh, mode in which Iran is being helpful, and this is, I, I think, a space to watch, is that Iran is really giving Russia a masterclass in how to evade sanctions, right? Because Iran has been under sanctions for a decade and a half as a result of its nuclear program. And so Iran's built all sorts of fail-safes, all sorts of mechanisms um, that allow it to, uh, you know, uh, sort of to trade with uh, pliable international partners to circumvent Western sanctions. And this is knowledge that the Russians are leaning on more and more heavily. I should say, by the way, that Ilan Berman is senior vice president of the American Foreign Policy Council. He has uh, advised the uh, Central Intelligence Agency as well as the U.S. Departments of State and Defense and is a particular expert on the Middle East, Central Asia, and the Russian Federation. Your, your latest piece says very boldly and uh, boldly at the beginning, with Moscow's military campaign against its western neighbor now at its six-month mark, the tally is both simple and stark. By virtually every metric, the past half year has been nothing short of ruinous for the Kremlin. Uh, how has it hurt uh, Russia or the Russian economy or even uh, exposing the Russian military and its weaknesses? Right. So really, uh, effectively, there, there's three metrics that I think are super important. Uh, one is political stability, uh, because Vladimir Putin's war, by some measures, is a popular endeavor. But you're seeing more and more uh, incidents in which there is a growing distance between the Kremlin and uh, the Russian population. Uh, and this is distance that's increasing as Russian soldiers come back home in body bags, because family members talk to their friends, their friends talk to their friends, and the fact that things are not going well on the battlefield is increasingly a poorly guarded secret. And this amplifies Vladimir Putin's political vulnerability, right? Because ultimately all politics is local. So politics is the first way. Military is the second way, because what you saw 
in the aftermath of the Soviet collapse was a quarter century in which the United States in particular, but the West in general, really self-deterred itself. We built up this idea of the Russian military as being this uh, enormous 10-foot-tall colossus that we didn't want to tangle with, we didn't want to scrap with. But, uh, you know, as, as I write in the piece, uh, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, Russia started uh, the conflict in February as being the second strongest army in Europe. It is now the second strongest army in Ukraine. Uh, the Ukrainians <laughs> have really done a number on, in terms of Russian effectiveness, right? The Russian uh, troop morale is enormously low. Uh, you have tons of defections. You have a casualty count on the Russian side that's higher already in six months of war than it was in a decade of Soviet war in Afghanistan in the 1980s. So you, I mean, this is, these are some pretty stark numbers, and that's why you're seeing the Kremlin begin to uh, you know, implement uh, sort of uh, accelerated conscription drives. They're running out of people, and the people that they have are not very good. And so what you have is you know, the, the post-Soviet mystique of a strong Russia militarily is really being demolished. And How's their, the uh, criminal, their, their recruiting of criminals going? I, I, you talked right, about right. in your piece that they're offering I, I reduced sentences and all kinds of bonuses for violent criminals to join their army. Right, and, and I, th I think that's a really, I mean, that's uh, sort of a proof of concept of exactly what I'm talking about. The, uh, Putin's war is so unpopular, the military is so, is looked at in such low regard that uh, the Russian military brass has been forced to go to penal colonies to offer amnesties and sweetheart deals and payoffs to convicts, including rapists and murderers, uh, that get, essentially get a get-out-of-jail-free card if only they survive the meat grinder that is known as Ukraine. Right? I mean, that's is, this a a, is this a way out? Is this an answer for fresh. Brittany Griner? <laughs> it may be. It may be. Although I'm not, I, I think if she's smart, she won't take it. But <laughs> right. it's a no, pretty, no. I, I it's one hopes that she gets standing. out. That she gets out because of American diplomatic <laughs> activity. Um, the the Absolutely. the so basically, is Iran really helping itself by its alliance with Russia? So, so I would actually argue, right, if, if I had the ear of the Supreme Leader, which I uh, deservedly don't, um, my <laughs> argument would be to keep the Kremlin at arm's length. Because right now, the dynamics that you see unfolding in Ukraine are not in the benefit of the Kremlin. It, it's a conflict that Ukraine is winning by not losing. And it's a conflict that Russia is losing by not winning, right? You have this sort of very strange dynamic, kind of like what we saw in Vietnam, for example, right, where, where sort of, you know, the, the uh, weaker power ends up on top because what you see is, you know, uh, you see this incremental losing of ground by the stronger power. Um, and if you're Iran, if you're engaged in feverish diplomacy with a very pliable administration in Washington that, that desperately wants some sort of new diplomatic bargain, is willing to throw tremendous amounts of money and sanctions relief at you in order to get that deal, maybe you don't rock the boat. Maybe this is not a smart play. So my sense is, my gut tells me that the Iranians want to appear useful to the Kremlin, but I think there's going to be limits to the type of cooperation that they offer. Uh, Ilan Berman, uh, his new piece on six months on the cost of the Ukraine war mounting. He also has a, a piece about Iran's future, both of which are posted at our website at michaelmedved.com. Uh, the... Um, 
The question of what happens next, what happens next, and Ilan writes about it, is a likely counteroffensive uh, that the Ukrainians seem to be very confident about, where they could take back some of the territory, 20% of their territory that has been occupied by Russia. Uh, that and more coming up on the Medved Show. Medved show breaking news. Uh, the president of the United States is delivering a political speech, uh, a political speech on an issue in which he's sounding a very, very different note than the note that he took when he was a candidate for president or when he was holding the Democratic convention. It's uh, the issue is crime and police support and safety. He uh, just got applause from his audience in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, not far from his hometown of Scranton, Pennsylvania. But uh, let's listen to what President Biden has to say regarding his Safer America anti-crime plan. Uh, listen. If I can inter just interject for a moment, my deceased son, Bo, he was the attorney general of the state of Delaware. And what he used to do is go down in the east side, the what called the bucket, highest crime rate in the country. There's a place where I used to, I was the only white guy that worked as a lifeguard down in that area, on the east side. And you know where the, you can always tell where the best basketball in the state is, and the best basketball in the city is. It's where everybody shows up. He'd go down and hang out and sit on a bench with my, my grandson, who's now 17 years old. And the police used to be in the car, the local city police. And he'd walk up and bang in the window. Say, get out of the car, damn it, meet these people. Let them see you. Let them know you. Let them know who you are. Well, the truth was, remember what happened to community policing? We went from having enough cops on the street to cities doing well and then deciding they don't need more police officers. So they reduced the police forces. So you didn't have two cops in every vehicle. You had one cop in every vehicle. And I don't blame one cop for not getting out in some certain neighborhoods, not getting out of the car. And what happens is it used to be I can remember that when my son was the attorney general, he'd go around in the tougher neighborhoods and he would ensure that every single cop gave his cell phone number to the local liquor store owner, the local church, the local grocery store, the local hamburger joint. So if there's a problem, they pick up the phone and call. Because what do people not want to do in tough neighborhoods? They don't want to be the one identified as turning so-and-so in. I remember going on the east side in Wilmington and one of those old Victorian three-story apartment buildings and going up to see a woman whose name out, she's passed away, but won't mention her name now. And stand in that rotunda, that, that part that stuck out around the building. And she say, Joey, I know. I know what's going on. They all plan it downstairs. I can hear them, but I'm afraid to tell anybody. I'm afraid to tell anybody, the gangs. And so I got her so that I got a phone number for the local cops. She'd call. They promised not to identify her because they knew there'd be retribution. And the crime rate began to drop for real, not a joke. You got to know people. You got to know and you got to be able to trust the police. The police have to be able to trust the community. 
but we slipped away from that. We have a hell of a lot fewer cops today than we did when I wrote that initial crime bill. But now we've got to get back to it. And by the way, I'm not making the case there aren't bad cops. There's some really lousy cops. There's some really lousy doctors. There's some really lousy lawyers. I mean it. But here's the point. As we've seen too often, public trust is frayed and is broken. And it undermines public safety when it gets frayed. It literally undermines safety. Families across the country have to ask, why in this nation, for example, so many black Americans wake up knowing they could lose their lives just by living their lives? If you come from neighborhoods like I come from and down in Delaware, if you have a 16 or 17-year-old son and you get the driver's license, you sit down and say, look, if you get stopped, put your hands on the wheel. Don't do anything. Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm being serious. But here's the point. Simply jogging, sleeping on their homes. You know, they made headlines or not, they've lot of lost souls. Increased trust makes policing more effective and it strengthens public safety. Okay, the that President by of the, the United way, States uh, speaking about increased trust in police departments. What he's not speaking about is his uh, party's legacy. And by the way, give credit where credit is due. Uh, president Biden never, during his campaign for the presidency, uh, talked about defunding the police. He said he was opposed to that. He didn't like that. He thought that was a ridiculous slogan, and of course it was. However, so many prominent members of his own party uh, kept saying that, kept urging it. Uh, the Republican National Committee has provided a selection of comments from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Nancy Pelosi, Cory Bush, who was no relation to the Bush presidential family, by the way, Kamala Harris, uh, Ilhan Omar, Bill de Blasio, mayor of New York, and many, many others all talking about defunding the police. Now, now Biden is presenting in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, where he's speaking, which is an area of the state which was traditionally Democratic, but went for President Trump uh, last election and uh, strongly in 2016. Now Biden's talking about hiring 100,000 new officers that he, the federal government would help to hire and train establishing a $15 billion grant program to help prevent violent crime, investing $5 billion in community violence intervention. This is all part of the program he's pushing today in the midst of a campaign uh, in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. But here is what Democrats sounded like when they weren't so close to election retribution. Uh, listen. So we've been talking about defunding the police. Uh, there's some issues that we ask police to do, like mental health issues or policing in schools and all the rest, that perhaps we can uh, shuffle some of that money around. Suck it up. Defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police. Mayor Eric Garcetti saying, take some of the money from policing, about $150 million. I applaud Eric Garcetti for doing what he's done. Not only do we need to disinvest for in police, but we need to completely dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. So yes, defund your butts, defund you. Yes, I support the reallocation of resources uh, from NYPD. We will be moving funding from the NYPD to youth initiatives and social services. They are talking about reducing the allocation of resources to that department. And I think every single 
city in this country ought to be thinking about the same thing. Yes, I support the defund movement. I'm for responsible reallocation of resources. And defund the police. I think you do all those other things, you don't need all the money that's going to the police department. So yeah, I mean, the spirit of it, I, I, I do support that. Yeah, and you know, a lot of us were asked if we could imagine a future without police back in 2017 when we were running for office. And I answered yes to that question. We are going to reduce funding in the police department and redirect that money. There's no reason the police budget should just keep growing and growing and growing. Uh, okay, again, this, this continues and it goes on and on. And by the way, this includes not uh, obscure fringe figures. It in, we'll post it on our website. You can go listen yourself at uh, michaelmedved.com. It includes people like the mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, and Congresswoman Marsha Fudge, who is in the Biden cabinet, and Susan Rice, who is in the Biden administration, advisor to the president, and Gretchen Whitmer, who's being talked about as a future vice president or president. She's the governor of Michigan. And all of these people, we can imagine a future without police. Really? Can you imagine what a future without police would look like? I mean... It's it's beyond belief that someone would say that, especially given the stratospherically rising violence and murder rates here in the United States. I mean, uh, talking about a future without police, you're talking about all of the United States looking like the west side of Chicago or the south side of Chicago or any neighborhood in Chicago. I mean, for goodness sake, uh, the RNC probably will be buying some TV time and running this ad with identifications of who all the voices are and what they're saying. And and look, I applaud the president for doing what he's doing and saying what he's saying right now and talking about how important it is that we increase funding for the ATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms to reduce the proliferation of firearms. That is not to take away guns from law-abiding citizens. It's to take away guns from crazy people, demonstrably crazy people like the shooter in Bend, Oregon, two days ago. And who, by the way, had posted material about how much he wanted to kill people. Uh, look, this is an issue where America has come together. I, I don't think that any of these people who are talking about defunding the police or abolishing the police would hold on to that idea right now in 2022. And God willing, uh, we will have progress against crime because it's something the country desperately needs. And it's required and should be unanimously supported. Uh, in this greatest nation on God's green earth.